Hello everybody and welcome to The Debrief. I'm Airman First Class Jance and I am joined here by the Mighty 97th Command Team, Colonel Blaine Baker and Command Chief Master Sergeant Cesar Flores. Uh, well, welcome guys. This, this is episode number one. I really appreciate you guys coming out here. Uh, I mean, the first thing I got to ask you guys, how was your weekend? It was beautiful weather outside. What'd you guys do? Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks for having us. First yeah, of all, you. Uh, we've been, we've been talking about this. We are really stoked, absolutely fired up about the opportunity to start a podcast. I mean, heck, how many people get to do this? It's an incredible opportunity. So yeah, great weekend, beautiful weather. Chief, what were you getting out to? Did you get, you get out there and run your paces and run around the base a couple times? I did. On Sunday, got my run in, sir. Yeah. On, sat on Saturday, was a lot of honey-do lists. A lot yeah. of uh, overdue things I need to get done around the house. Yeah. Uh, after an incredible annual award ceremony on Friday nights, I uh, got to watch a very uh, tough Super Bowl. For many people, I was rooting for Cincinnati. Didn't work out. I know Senior ha uh, Kaufman over at the WSA is uh, not in a good place right now, but uh, we'll pick him up and... Get over the finish line down the road. There you go. <laughs> we got, we got him. It's gonna be okay, man. Um, yeah, it was it was a great weekend for for me too. Chief and I talked about the annual award ceremony. Mm -hmm. It was just uh, really inspiring. I mean, the, the airmen we have are world class. It was uh, one of the most memorable nights I've had in a long time. Just to uh, take time to reflect on that. Mm -hmm. So that really started the weekend off awesome. Beautiful weather. I played a couple rounds on the golf course. Oh, there you go. Uh, got got to question again why it is that I continue to play this sport that I am terrible at. <laughs> However, hey, uh, golf is the greatest up. because it, it's all. It only takes one shot for you to come back the next time. You might right. you might shoot you know over a hundred, but guess what? You hit one shot and you're like, wow, I can actually play this game. But then again, the next shot, you shank it and you just keep coming back though. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to find that one shot, Aaron yeah. Jan. Uh, when I find it, I will tell you, but, but it's, but it is fun. It's yeah. beautiful weather. You know, so they tell me you'll never know how tough golf is unless you play it regularly. Mm -hmm. So my response to that is, I guess I'll never know. <laughs> well, my friends and I go back on, on golf as we dive down this rabbit hole a little bit, but uh, we, we have some, some funny conversations about, you know, any sport where you have to be completely quiet. And so we have this whole running debate in some of my circles on, on uh, is, is a sport, you know, that you have to be totally quiet on. Uh, what, what does that, you know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, the challenges of that in your own headspace. So, but fun, tough I mean, and fun. Mentally challenging. It That's is. exactly what it is. But uh, so people are probably wondering, what is this? What is the debrief? You know, in, in your own words, uh, what is this podcast? What is this podcast uh, to you guys? Yeah, we really, the debrief, when you start to pick apart that word, that is a really important part of our culture, you know, our Air Force culture, what it means to be airmen. Part of airmanship is, is the debrief, you know, something that, that we do not just in the flying world, but we do it in all the different specialties that we have in some way, shape or form. Some call it after action reviews, some call it hot washes. Um, in the flying world, debrief's a term that's used a lot, but it's really used, I think it's grown completely across our Air Force now, and, and debrief's a, a great way to, to uh, culturally look at how we can improve. It's really an improvement tool over time, and you know, I think when it was built, the idea was figure out what happened, why it happened, and how do we get better? And so we thought, heck, you know, that's a great thing to, uh, to get after for a podcast and look at that 
not just in what we do day to day, but how do we grow as professionals? How do we grow personally? And how do we grow as humans? You know, the debrief, right? So what happened? Why did it happen? And how do we get better? And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about that. I, I think it's a great name. I mean, absolutely. And really it's going to focus a lot on, on life lessons and, and, and that vein and how do we get better from there. So uh, as a command chief, they always tell you be vulnerable. And so this guy to my right is always vulnerable. And uh, I feel like a lot of people can learn from our failures, right? Uh, where can we get better at? And I love it. In air crew role, they say there's no rank in the cockpit. So that means that at the debrief, everyone comes um, from the same level to try to make each other better. And I feel like uh, whether it's the guests or us, uh, being able to look at each other, even you, Airman Jantz, yeah. uh, being able to give us that deep, that deep, those debrief points, how to get better. I hope people can walk away, reflect on what we talk about, and ask ourselves, what can I action uh, to be a better airman, a better human being, or uh, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I always thought, when I identified the debrief without actually looking it up, I just thought it was a, it was a gracious way to hold each other accountable as human mm -hmm. beings, mm -hmm. right? So I think when we have things to offer each other, uh, it'd be a disservice if we don't share that with each other. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, to, to go on that a little bit, it, and it's not even just holding each other accountable, it's holding ourselves accountable. Absolutely. You know, how, how often do we take the time to actually sit down and truly, truly reflect? Yeah. Um, we're busy. You know, everybody, everybody out there is busy. They're jobbing it, and this base is a perfect example of that every single day. Uh, everybody out there flying the line and moving the line and doing what they need to do to make this mission go. And uh, this is just a great opportunity to, to do exactly what Chief said and, and execute a debrief. Right. So we're, lo we're looking forward to it. And that, that's really where it kind of popped out of thin air. Mm -hmm. But uh, these these opportunities to, to share with airmen and, and take time to reflect are important. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, really the vein after this is, is get to know our airmen, uh, get yeah. to know the leaders that are here, uh, their journeys, uh, their trials and tribulations, their successes or failures, and the debrief on how what lessons learned they, they, they got from that so they can uh, hopefully enrich other people's lives and make themselves better. Yeah, and I think, you know, sharing a little bit about, um, you know, for this first version at least, you know, who Chief and I are and an opportunity for us to, to connect a little bit more. And, and we are generally very uncomfortable with putting ourselves front and center, talking about ourselves because... You know, we're always trying to be sensitive to people's time. And we say this at FTAC and Airman Leadership School. You know, we, we don't want to talk at you for an hour. We'd like to hear from you a little bit. Um, but in the, in the reciprocal of that is sometimes it's good for people to know who the leaders are who are empowered to make decisions for this organization. And so maybe a little time to sort of unwind and figure out what makes us tick a little bit would be helpful, too, for the team and probably helpful for us. You know, as we go through this this very very first formal debrief process, yeah. I think we could have a lot of, frankly, have a lot of fun with it. Absolutely. But remember, guess how about we start with you? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yeah. you and how you get up here. Coming back script. to me, I, I appreciate that. But uh, again, I I appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, with you too. Uh, it's funny you mentioned. You know, not not every airman knows who their leadership is or even their command team, you know, I was having a conversation just this morning with uh, another airman uh, and he mentioned, you know, not knowing the command team very well. He know he, he obviously knows his squadron commander and that in, in that tree. But when it comes to the command team, he's like, I just don't, I just don't see him. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I think we are very, um, 
we're very fortunate in mm -hmm. public affairs to have the opportunity to, to work with you two gentlemen and work with all the commanders and all the chiefs and all these people in higher positions. Uh, and we just get to know, yeah. you know, and not ever, not everybody, you know, a junior enlisted too. Like we just don't have that opportunity. So you're, you're exactly right. I, I'm glad you pointed that out. One of the things that, that I tried to express to my teams, whether it's the, the front office team or, or you may have heard me say this before, chief probably definitely has is to really be successful as an organization for the whatever that immediate su supervision is or whatever that immediate leadership layer is, they have to know not just something about who they are as the professional, they need to know something about that person. So in this case, you need to know two things. You need to know who Colonel Baker is and what Colonel Baker stands for. But to really be effective at the next level and build that deep trust, you have to know who Blaine Baker is. You have to know a little piece of that. And that's the part that we find really difficult sometimes in our business. And this is what I call lowering the shield. We, we tend to walk around with, with shields up, um, oftentimes for really good reasons, sometimes just because of our life experiences. And figuring out what we can do at the right times to lower that shield a little bit so that people get to know not just Colonel Baker, but they get to know Blaine Baker, and in this case, Cesar Flores, that really you've kind of hit on the essence of why we're doing this podcast, and it goes kind of back to that debrief concept. So we've talked, we've talked about that a bit before, but I'm glad you brought that up. And that part of this is get, getting to know, you know, um, the decision makers across an organization. That's yeah. awesome. Awesome. And, I, and I'll steal the show right back. And Please do. <laughs> I'll go back to my, to my introduction. Uh, so this is my first duty station. Uh, I had tech school out in Fort Meade, uh, and I got here just last July. Uh, I am a Minnesotan, not born and bred, uh, but I claim Minnesota is my home. Uh, right now, I pray for them. It's like zero degrees out, and it's sunny and 70, 75 here. For now. <laughs> for yeah, now. In a couple of days. In <laughs> a couple change, days, but... it'll go back down. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so I grew up as a, uh, an Army brat. I, both of my parents were active duty Army. Uh, cool. Yeah, see, and joining the military wasn't necessarily like a hard decision for me. Um, I'm a little older as a junior enlisted. I'm 25, um, and so I did. I did go to college as well. Uh, I went for law enforcement. I was going to be a law law enforcement officer up in uh, the state of Minnesota, uh, but with the climate up there at that time. Uh, this was early 2019, uh, COVID hit, and there were some uh, law enforcement events that happened up there that the, the climate of law enforcement in Minnesota at the time just wasn't, wasn't an ideal spot for myself. And so it was a, it was a real easy decision to, to join the Air Force, especially when you have two Army parents who are like, hey, if you're gonna enlist, go in the Air Force. <laughs> Sound advice. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, it's funny, we do hear that yeah. frequently, um, but you know, we are, we are so tight with our, with our uh, brother and sister services. Uh, it's incredible. We have such deep and profound respect, but you know, the same way, uh, there's always that healthy competition between the two, but that's great. So they set you, they helped set you on your- Oh yeah, side. they were like, hey, if, if if you're going, we're, we're going to make sure you go in the Air Force. And so uh, here I am almost uh, a couple of years later, uh, sitting down with the command team of 
out out this Air Force Base, you know, who I would have never thought, you know, something like this. But like I said, it's it's a great opportunity. And I I get to see you two gentlemen at, at least once a week, you know, whether it's through passing or we're doing, you know, whether it's a photo op or something, you know, it's it's super awesome. And it's a great experience. And I love my job. That's awesome. I love public affairs. You know? and, and just to, maybe I picked up a thread of this yeah. before we got on camera, but you're a hockey fan. Big hockey guy. Uh, so I grew up as a New York Rangers fan. Uh, my, my father is from Northern Jersey. And uh, so me and my siblings, we all adopted, you know, we grew up with the Yankees, the Giants, and the Rangers. And there's there's a lot of flack that comes back with that, especially being a Yankees fan. But uh, you know, not not all those teams are great forever. So we're especially the Giants right now. The Giants had a had a tough uh, couple seasons right now. But uh, hey, you know we're we're pushing through. But uh, living in Minnesota, I have become a, a a little bit of a hometown team guy too, and I support the Minnesota Wild. Uh, definitely the Vikings, not so much the twins, yeah. definitely, definitely not the twins. Uh, but I play, I grew up playing hockey, you know, uh, occasionally I drive down to Wichita Falls. I drive an hour and a half to Wichita Falls to go play hockey on either a, a Wednesday evening or, or a Sunday during the day, just to, just to step on the ice and, uh, go, you know, just it's not readily available around here. So when I do have that opportunity, it's the best thing in the world because I grew up playing it every single day when I was a kid. Yeah, it's awesome how you light up when uh, we talk hockey. Yeah, I was, I <laughs> we was know your niche say, now. Yeah. I was going to say, same thing, you know, he, uh, when he was saying he's loving his job and happy to be here. And, you know, that we, we see, we get to see that every day and we get to see that in different airmen. And, and hopefully, you know, the team here sees the same in us. But uh, that, that's, that's fantastic. And, I don't know that we'll have a, a ho- hockey rink at Altus Air Patch anytime in the very new, near future. Yeah. I'd like to promise you something like that, but I don't think – I think of all the projects we have in the works to make this a premier base – Not, and, not and an ice I rink. I don't think an ice hockey rink is going to make the cut, but but not because yeah. we're biased against you. That or is, ice that is fair. That's fair. For the record. Yep. But uh, – well, there's a very brief introduction about myself. Uh, Colonel Baker, would you would you like to introduce, introduce yourself now? Yeah, or? I think I'm going to yeah. flip the script one more time and let Chief go there first. There we go. And then Let's I'm going to go Chief. after Chief goes. All right. That's good. Let him, uh, I was giving him a spotlight, sir. I could do yeah, part of your story because we spent, you know, we, we do these introductions a lot. And so mm-hmm. what he was going to say to start, and then I promise I will go to you, but uh, yeah. you, you were going to say uh, I'm an inner city kid from Fort Worth. There you go. <laughs> Inner city go. kid from Fort Worth, Texas. So uh, I'll even start before that. My two parents, uh, uh, Maria and Manuel Flores, they they were born and raised in Mexico, uh, not too far apart, and they immigrated eventually mm-hmm. to the U.S. So first generation American, along with my sister and uh, my two younger siblings. Uh, grew up inner city, like like my boss said. Definitely a rough upbringing, but uh, we had a lot of family, so we always had that family feel. My dad worked his butt off, and if there's one thing I definitely gained from him was, was his work ethic. Uh, my mom, she is the heart and soul of our family, and, and, they, and definitely uh, gave me a propensity for a compassionate side. I just don't think I grew into it until later on I met my wife, Patricia. But uh, didn't really aspire for much growing up. I just liked to play outside and uh, had a lot of lack of supervision in a good way. 
even though my parents held me accountable uh, when it mattered the most and was not a very good student. So I knew uh, when I graduated high school that the military was going to be uh, my way out uh, of, of that situation. So um, coming from that kind of that kind of community, a lot of folks don't move away. Matter of fact, they promote folks to stay there. And I decided to join the Army, uh, go to the 82nd Airborne. Uh, when I got to Fort Benning, Georgia, right when I got off the bus, I actually shared this with our F-Tackers last week. I knew I didn't want to be in the Army. The second I walked off that bus, I knew it wasn't for me. Um, but like I also told them, I did have a sense of service even then, and I gave, them, I gave the Army three years of the best I could, had some amazing team leaders, got my grit and discipline. And three years and a couple weeks later, I separated as a sergeant, which is a pretty good feat, I think, uh, for the amount of time I was in. Got out for a couple years, went to school. That didn't work out too well, um, but met my hometown sweetheart, Letitia, uh, who has been the reason why service has been so amazing up to this point. But joined the Air Force, became a cop, security forces. Yeah. I wanted to be a boom operator from the start, but they said, no, we, we, we need cops right now. So I did. And that was probably one of the best five years of my life. Uh, as far as a leader, uh, definitely way of the gun kind of business deployed twice, uh, in 2005 and 2007, uh, both combat deployments. And it was the experience of a lifetime, especially the second one definitely taught me the value of, uh, of an airman's life and kind of carried me into the way I lead today. And, uh, hopefully the selfless service that, that we carry ourselves with. Um, but I, if you really want to go deep, uh, I don't think if, if I was really to speak to the core of who I was, I still had some bad attributes. Um, again, I, I emphasize growing inner city and I think I always felt like I had something to prove. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think I carried a, a lot of baggage on me and wanted to prove myself. And so it wasn't necessarily to become better for my airmen, become better so I can prove you wrong. And I think, uh, that definitely didn't, carry into me making good relationships with certain people. So uh, left a little bit of path to destruction there, I bet. Uh, but I was good at what I did. So I think my senior leaders uh, excused me uh, for some of my behavior that I, that I probably gained along the way. Um, but then I made tech sergeant. That was my ticket out of security forces, even though I love that career field. Uh, became a boom operator on the KC-135. That was the first time I was around officers other than infantry and security forces officers. And that was a culture shock uh, to see how pilots uh, operated. And that's where I really first learned the term debrief and the way they do things. Cause security forces, we did after action uh, reviews and hot washes and, and whatnot. Um, love the crew concept, um, really cut my teeth in that, in, in that way of life. Uh, I, I vividly remember when I made master sergeant and I was a squadron superintendent for the first time and my daughter was uh, three or four years old and my son was, um, I think he was 11 or 12 and the squadron commander trusted me implicitly. And that's when I realized that you have nothing to, uh, you have nothing to harbor anymore going forward. I felt trusted and that's the first time I, I kind of felt liberated and kind of let go of all the bad things that, that, that fueled my, my service up to then. Uh, anyway, that kind of filled me where I went, made chief that way. And at uh, my last base, RF Mildenhall, is where I met uh, Colonel Baker and was immediately uh, drawn to his way of leadership. Uh, here we are today, sir. Yeah. Quite a journey. It's been a heck of a journey. And 
I, I didn't remember that. We've talked about this, not not before this podcast, but we've just talked about this in passing, and I really didn't remember that. I do remember um, seeing Chief and seeing Chief in action and just thinking, that's a leader of character. That's, that's what popped into my mind. And what was very interesting about uh, Chief here, since you kind of made a little bit of the connection on, on how we had our first overlap on, uh, on locations, was in the hiring process for Command Chief, you know, I, I, I'm a, for positions of consequence and hires of consequence, such as Command Chief position, I'm a believer in 360 degrees of evaluation. So you, you want to know as much about that individual as you can. And so I checked back with all his peers as many peers, not all his peers, he got too many for me to check back with, but many of his peers, people who had supervised him, people who he'd either worked for or uh, had worked for him, and it was a resounding level of support across the board from all of those. Can I ask you, this is something you share at ALS and you share at other places. You talk about the difference between when you signed up for the Air Force and when you joined the Air Force. Yes. So I think everyone has an enlistment or an oath of office date of when they initially joined, whether it's an officer or, or one of our airmen. And the day you join, like most people, you joined because of, uh, or you enlisted, I'm sorry, is because of college money or because you're trying to get out of your situation or some other external factor. Uh, serving your country and in pure intrinsic va uh, value is, is, is there, but it's not at the forefront always, and that's okay. Uh, that we don't always focus our recruiting tools on that, and uh, we're trying to get folks to come join our service. But those two dates were, were very different. Um, I vividly remember uh, when I was in Iraq in 2007. Uh, we just we were, I was doing combat ops outside outside the wire uh, patrols, and it was towards the end of our shift, and we got hit by an IED. It was devastating. Uh, I got some shrapnel metal wounds and and some burns to my hands and face, and or most of my hair off. Uh, my gunner took a piece of strap metal the size of a softball uh, to his leg and, and my driver got knocked unconscious and we thought we were gonna die out there. And I can go into the story, but through the efforts of a lot of people, um, we were able to save my gunner's life and get everybody out of there. And who was waiting for me back at base camp was my um, flight commander at the time. Um, and when I met him, um, that high that I was on, being outside the wire, when I came back in, um, I collapsed into his arms. And through those efforts, and even just knowing that the wing commander, my wife was pregnant with my daughter, Kendall, uh, back here in the States. He personally went to, go, went to go deliver the news and kept her updated until I got out of the hospital and, and, and got better. And uh, that's when I really joined. That's when I realized, geez, where, what other line of work uh, would your, would it asks so much of you, but in the flip of a switch, uh, go from that to give, giving everything they have to support you and get through such a traumatic event and be able to take care of your family. And they had me. I was hooked after that, sir. And I would say that's the first, that's the day I actually joined the military. And those two days are not always the same. And I will ask our listeners and viewers, what are two, those two dates? And are they the same? And if not, uh, what, what was the date that you joined? And, uh, how can you reflect on that and, and debrief others on finding their source of, of, of joining the military? Yeah. Or maybe where will it be in the future? Yes, sir. Know, if you're not there yet. And I, I love that story about chief. Cause it's like the, I call it the heart of the lion kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, that's what it's going to take to beat a peer competitor. 
Um, it's going to take, you know, heart of the line about, you know, getting back up off the mat when, when we're down. And the truth is we're all going to be there at some point, at least in terms of um, getting setbacks in life uh, one way, shape or form. Now, his was in a way that I think we could all hope that we could persevere in the way that he did and his team did. But sure, and quick shout out, uh, Lieutenant uh, Jason Daniels. Uh, you're the reason why I stayed in uh, to this day. So, so thank you for that. That's awesome. And that's perfect. You know, it, it is, it's, but when we have setbacks, whatever those are, you know, that's what we want our airmen to be able to, to bounce back off the mat and not just, not just get back up, but get back up swinging and, and get back up and, and getting back out there and, and, and back at the mission. Um, so it's really important stuff. And that, that's what, that's the part I, I love in, in, in this story. And this goes into a little bit of, you know, when we talk about the debrief and, and what happened and why, and how do we get better? And, you know, when you really start diving down deeper, it's about what makes us who we are as people. And, you know, that's a big part. And I just love it when he, when he tells that story. I think it's good for our, yeah. for our audience. To so, so I tell you the power of moments and I have many yeah. of them over the years. That's one of them. Uh, another powerful moment is actually when I met you over at RAF Mobile Hall. Uh, I was the sitting uh, 100th operations group uh, superintendent at the time. I know those names have changed and the boss man here was the vice commander. Yeah. For the mighty hundredth, yeah, bloody hundredth, and bloody hundredth, still a lot of pride and joy Heck being able yeah. to serve in that unit. But I remember we were linked up together to go, to go brief newcomers to mm -hmm. all our folks that just are onboarding over at the installation, and you were like, "Hey, chief, come in here. Let's uh, let's let's go over the slides really quick." And we spent five ten minutes on them. First time I've ever done that. Usually we can just wing it, and it's going to be okay. Uh, but he wanted to take the time to make sure we delivered a good product and that we uh, did not violate uh, our folks' time and effort. Because that's the most important thing in, in the world that we have is giving each other our time and attention. And uh, you wanted to make sure that uh, that was good to go. And I tell you, sir, I got hooked that day. I was like, holy crap, I'd follow this guy anywhere because <laughs> that was, you got, I was hooked from there. And then he just delivered every single time on uh, his, his selfless service. And how awesome that he hired me to come here and, uh, our motto was go for broke. Yeah. At this point, yeah. we're fulfilled. Our service is amazing. And uh, we're going to try to enrich everyone's life while getting after our mission and defend this great nation. Yeah, Chief's yeah. right. I mean, it's really about, you know, who are we as people and, and why we're serving. And we do, we say that to ALS and we, we say it to FTAC too. And, um, you know, it is it is go for broke and when it's, when it's really about serving the team. And, you know, that, I think, you know, as Chief has told his story, you know, you can see, I can see, how he got to where he was, you know, that grittiness, that growing up a little rough like you did, um, your Air Force experiences and hard knocks and your Army time and this Defender time and sensor time and boom operator time. And, you know, all this kind of comes together and it and it makes us makes us who we are. And we end up, you know, where we are. And in my case, to you know, to rewind the tapes, you know, back. Um, and, and this is a part that he knows really well because we spend quite a bit of time together. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a little town in South Carolina. I was born in a town called Spartanburg, South Carolina. Not not a big town, but but getting bigger and growing. Mm -hmm. um, but it it was a uh, my childhood was was a was a rough childhood in in a lot of ways too. Um, not not the inner city style, but there were some hard knocks in in Spartanburg, uh, just in the neighborhoods where I was running around and growing up. You know, I had a household where, you know, both both my parents at age five or six had split. So I had a single mom who was raising four of us in the house and trying to do the best that she really could. 
Um, and you know, she was, we were, we were scraping, scraping by. Um, there were, there were times when, uh, you know, we, we just made do with what we had and, and, and we went on. Um, so in that kind of like in a little bit of your story, uh, a lot of my time was spent unsupervised or supervised by my older siblings. And I think we all know how that goes. There's yeah. some hard knocks involved <laughs> in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, so I, so I grew up that way, but I was, I was the youngest, um, in the family. So I did have that while it was some hard knocks. It was also, I knew I had a support mechanism in my, uh, in my older siblings, which is appreciated to this day, but you know, there was some running around and some, you know, we'll call it minimal supervision. Um, I had on, on, you know, unfortunately, you know, my dad was, um, really struggled with alcohol was, um, you know, uh, abusive, frankly. Uh, so, so we, we, uh, ended up living in a household from the times that he was there. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that story, but, uh, it was very difficult. Um, and that was something that was not shared and not known, you know, outside our inner house. Um, so I found myself constantly struggling to try to reconcile what happened behind the walls and the doors of our house. And then what happened outside the doors of our house and what people knew and didn't know. Um, so, you know, I struggled with that really, uh, deeply for a long time. And a lot of times I didn't really realize how much I was struggling with that all the way up until, um, my adult life, trying to reconcile, you know, a dad who in some ways provided, uh, my parents ended up getting back together when I was in fifth grade. So that came with a, with a share of, um, turbulence. Um, but it also put the family back together in some ways, but it also exposed me back to, you know, that abusive, um, household. And so, so that was tough all the way from about fifth grade going forward. Um, on the flip side and the good side is, you know, I had a, a dad that at least I knew cared, um, regardless of the weaknesses and challenges that we had in the house. But what I fundamentally found through that process and through those, those struggles was, uh, that, that it made me stronger and it made me grittier and it made me tougher and that I was going to have to figure out, um, what to do with myself, you know, and how to protect myself in some ways and, and how to find a way to, uh, to make sure that I, I made something of myself. So uh, for me, that avenue was, was sports. I was always, always involved in, you name your kind of sport, and I was out there doing it. And fortunately, um, through that time, I had some incredible school administrators, some teachers and some coaches who were the ones that I think really kept me on the straight and narrow. I am absolutely convinced uh, based on the, the level of violence and abuse and uh, drinking that happened uh, in our house, that had I not had those teachers and those coaches and sports to lean on, um, that it would have been an extremely difficult path for me. But uh, I had two teachers who really took me under my wing uh, when I got to high school. Um, I had Nancy Addis, who was, who was one of them, who she was just, uh, I, I had a uh, extracurricular class with her where I, I could tell, and I never talked to her about this, but I bet if I found her now, uh, she would probably recognize there was, there was a young man who by all appearances, um, had things together, but was probably struggling. Uh, and then I had a teacher named Sandy McLeod who kind of did the same thing. And so they were kind of the academic on the teacher side. And then I had two amazing coaches, uh, my baseball coach, Ed Taylor, who was just as tough and as hard edged as they come for a coach. And, 
And, and, and if anybody from Walhalla, South Carolina, who grew up playing baseball in Walhalla, South Carolina, hears that name, they will know Ed Taylor, and they will know that Ed Taylor was a demanding, demanding coach. And he pushed hard. But he promoted toughness and discipline and a fighting spirit like few people I've ever come across on earth. And I had a wrestling coach named Kirk Kreuzberger, who was another one, uh, who was just that leader of character that, you know, worked with me and helped me and shaped me and taught me those, you know, those, those levels of discipline that you need to be successful on the wrestling mat, the same way Coach Taylor taught me that on the, on the ball field. And then with the two teachers, I, I really feel like, um, you know, that school environment was what got me through uh, and, and gave me what, what grit, you know, down at what I call the hard core. You know, that I know when push comes to shove that if we've got a mission to do and that there was a mission on that ball field and a mission on that wrestling mat that we're going to get it done. And then I had uh, one of my best friend's fathers, Monty Joseph, who was kind of that, again, that leader of character, that example for a young man that you really need, who, who had the things that my dad couldn't provide in those ways. He certainly did provide in other ways. He wasn't all bad. But Monty Joseph was kind of that example for me to go, okay, this is what, this is what good leadership looks like. And this is, this is a father figure that I can, that I can try to emulate. And so I tried to do that. And so I got to, you know, I made my way to the Citadel. I, I started off in elementary school where I'm going through, you know, some of these challenges, uh, getting books out of the library and I would find books on astronauts and I would just read every page, every word of every page. And I'd go back to the library and, the card catalog, remember that? Remember how oh, yeah. that thing worked in the, in the Dewey Decimal System? Remember this? Now, I may not have actually used that. I may have just gone to the wall of books and found the books I wanted, but hypothetically, I was using those systems. But I'd get more astronaut books, and you know, I'd read these stories, and in my mind, those stories are, are, are what I set my sights on. And I never did make it quite all the way where I was going, but you know, I definitely, um, definitely was trying to get to that path. And so that's what drove me, you know, as I, as I applied to different colleges and, you know, the Air Force Academy, I, I kind of had that in my crosshairs for a while and, and that didn't work out. And, you know, I applied to some military colleges and ended up at the Citadel, which again, for me, when you think about this, a young man who on the outside um, has things together and has some structures in place that had provided protective mechanisms for me, such as sports and great teachers, um, I wanted that highly structured environment. I don't know that that was a conscious thought, but I know now looking back on it, that that is the environment that I needed to be successful. It's the environment that allowed me to mature, that gave me that discipline, the same discipline that, you know, Chief talks about in, in his military lifestyle and um, the way he lives his life now. But I needed that in the, in the college environment too, because um, I was young and still learning a lot. And so got to the Citadel and then really, you know, tried to pursue the, the pilot path, which, when you read through all the old astronaut books, the path to astronaut was through flying airplanes. And so I was excited. I was immensely excited about anything that had to do with that. Um, so, you know, I just kind of, you know, wor worked my fingers to the bone as best I could at the Citadel and, and really tried to be a good cadet and a good teammate. And I think that's what forged a lot of me and Chief sees this, this in me now, you know, some of the, some of the military discipline side that, that, I, that I learned from there. Um, that stuck with me for a long time. You know, it was really a lot about doing the little things that equal the big things, those levels of personal discipline and how you live your life. And, uh, 
those set the foundation for me to, I think, be successful in the Air Force. So, I, but I didn't get a pilot training slot right out of college. I got a navigator slot. Um, I did not compete exceedingly well on the pilot training board when I was a young cadet. And you know the reason why is because my aerospace studies commander, the colonel in charge of that detachment, didn't know who I was and he didn't know I wanted to be a pilot. I had good academics. I was good on my fitness test. I did really good in all the dimensions of being a cadet, but I was extremely quiet and I always sat on the back row and my commander didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do in my life. And so he didn't know, this goes back to, he didn't know Blaine Baker. He knew Cadet Baker who sits in the back of the class and he's a solid cadet. But when it comes to how he racked and stacked his pilot candidates, I wasn't anywhere near the top of the list. And so I learned that after the fact, he actually brought me in his office and said, hey, we, we can offer you a navigator slot if you're, if you're interested. I wasn't originally on the, on the navigator slate. And I said, absolutely, you know, anything that can move me towards that path mm -hmm. where, where I can go down this adventure. And so that's what I did. So I went to navigator school, became an electronic warfare officer. That's a, um, a navigator rating, but a particular position and spent my first three years of the Air Force on the AC-130U model gunship. Learned so much about how the Air Force works and you know the beginning of really Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, so I did three deployments in that field. Uh, so one for Enduring Freedom and then in 2003, two deployments for Iraqi Freedom with some incredible leaders and air crew members uh, mm. in that community. And so I had this little stint in AFSOC, which I never wear on my sleeve because that community is such an incredible community. Uh, and I was there for such a short time, but I'm really proud of that time there. And I still have contact with a lot of folks in that community. But we talk about the debrief. I will tell you on a gunship crew, the debrief was sacrosanct. The debrief was brutal. The debrief was thorough and no stones were left unturned and everybody owned their mistakes. And we would go around all 13 crew members and that debrief, if there was, you know, a mistake that was made or something that needed to be talked about that happened on that crew, we were talking about it and we're not gonna leave anything on the table and we never did. And, and so I learned a little bit about, you know, the debrief in that community, which, you know, I think some of the origins of that between the special operations community and the fighter community um, really speaks to the debrief. So did that for three years, then went to pilot training, C-17 for a long time. Um, most of my career was spent in the C-17, got a lot of time, again, with some amazing air crew members, learning how to do the business of air mobility, which is the most incredible business and rewarding business um, that I can think of and throughout some deployments forward for that and moving some relief missions, doing, doing the gamut of air mobility and airlift. Um, it was an incredible journey and, and I really appreciated that. And it was a great opportunity. So then I went to squadron command and I got matched to squadron command into the contingency response group, which again, um, was a new dimension to my air force career. I got to do that throughout squadron command and deploy a team forward into Iraq. Um, supporting the uh, Mosul Offensive down at this base called Kiara West, which was just the timing of which was uh, amazing in terms of, of what uh, the team was able to accomplish to move logistics and fires platforms and, and help, help move that fight. And uh, I got to learn a lot about what our force does. And Chief and I talk about this all the time, don't we, at ALS and EPTAC and talking about what all the different AFSCs really bring to the fight. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to serve with amazing people and learn so much more 
uh, and be mentored. And we haven't talked about this, and I hope we can pull on this thread when I get to the end, but, you know, this, this mentorship that happens, you know, at all levels. You know, it's not just one-dimensional from, from, you know, Chief and I with, with more experience to the less experience. I mean, mentorship goes all directions at all levels. And so uh, had the privilege of doing contingency response, doing some relief for hurricanes, Irma, as well as Maria, and then uh, went to, as Chief said, to, to Vice Wing Command at the Bloody 100th. First touch on the KC-135 and the mission of the Bloody 100th. You finally saw the light, sir. It was the light. It was amazing. Um, and I'm so proud of that. And he hears me say that all the time, you know, the, the KC-135 seasoned aircraft, but best damn seasoned aircraft in the entire world and we're proud of it and uh it's an amazing mission and so got a, got a taste for that and as chief knows because he was there for several years more than i was that was a busy mission and it's busy now and the heritage and the legacy that the bloody hundredth has that is connected back to world war ii is was something that we we could we could all tie into and we've tried to do that here as we've gotten all the way to, to altus altus air patch which for chief and i both were chomping at the bit and really hoping that we could get to Altus. For me, you know, Altus is the epicenter of air mobility. It's mobility's hometown, as we like to call it. And it is where mobility starts. And having first touch on a mobility airman is a privileged position in our Air Force. And so Chief and I were both hoping that we could get here. We love this part of the world. We love the mission. And so, uh, so here we are. We've gone pretty much full circle, right, Chief? And Absolutely. No, Altus is a, holds a special place. I mean, we get to interact with our amazing airmen. I mean, we produce 70% of our mobility Air Force's air crew. And just the fact is a training base, you see so many folks in their formative years and you get to pour into those airmen. That to me is the essence of going for broke right there. Yep. And, you know, I think as we, as we go through things like this podcast, the debrief, uh, you know, we can learn from all the things that we've covered between, you know, what you've seen from your formative years in the Army to being a defender and sensor operator and boom operator, all of those. Um, we can bring those in, you know, and tie in things like the Bloody Hundredth and, and that legacy. And, and we've, I think, moved the needle a lot and built on a great foundation that our predecessors left for us Absolutely. on the Triangle Y and our World War II connection. I, I know we've been talking about bringing on some guests and guests from you know, from commanders down to senior enlisted leaders and even uh, some junior enlisted and uh, and NCOs. Like we, we're just going to cover the entire totem pole. It seems like if 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 we have the opportunity, we're going to we're going to bring them on. And I mean, that's the biggest thing, getting to know from other leaders and not just yourselves, because guess what? Everybody on this base has a story some I'm sure a lot of them have multiple stories and I know that's a big uh, a big thing we want to do with this podcast is get other people's perspectives as well um, I mean if you guys know are there anybody uh, you guys are certainly looking forward to having on in the future yeah I mean first of all you're you're exactly right I think you know and and I appreciate you indulging us for this one and hopefully that's good for folks to you know really get to know us again you know that shield down version of us, you know, the Blaine Baker and the Cesar Flores, but you nailed it, Airman Jantz, because, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully we can spend the remainder of the debriefs talking about the great team we have around us. And so I can think of an airman off the top of my head. That would be awesome. Chief, what do you, what do you think? Oh, it just so happened. We just, again, we just, Friday, we had our 
wing annual award ceremony right off the bat our wing airman of the year uh senior airman scotty shoemaker yep shoemaker scotty doesn't know but <laughs> we're going to target him to be our next guest one of the things i want this uh, podcast to be is relatable to every single rank uh and or airman regardless of the of, of the which demographic they come from uh, and i think having Starting with our, if we're serving leaders here, we start with our airmen. Yeah, I agree. Really highlight their stories and, and get their debrief on their journey on how they got here. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about mentorship goes at, operates at all levels and it, and it cuts across all ranks. And, you know, I think you started it by saying, you know, it's it's not about rank. And when we, when we get on an aircraft, you know, we have the privilege to cross into the blue pretty frequently. When we get to do that, the first thing I say at the table is let's get the, let's get the rank off. And then let's refer to each other by our crew positions, which is what we are here to do. We're here to execute a mission in the aircraft. And so it's going to be perfect. We get our airmen up here who can, you know, share their life story. And the really cool part is, and it's going to start with Airman Shoemaker. When we get him in here, you're going to see an incredible airman who's got an incredible story to tell. And we had the opportunity to, to speak with him after the annual award ceremony on Friday and, and, there's a lot, a lot to this airman, incredible airman who has a lot to offer and share. But, uh, I mean, we're at that time of the show where we're kind of winding things down. You know, we got our introductions. We, we know we have a basic understanding of, of the debrief and what, what we're really looking forward to in this. Uh, but is there anything you guys would like to say closing out uh, as we close this episode? You know, um, it's the heart of the line stuff. You know, it's about how do we get better, where we, where we start the conversation. You know, how do, how do we get better as professionals personally, but more importantly, even as, as humans going forward. So I, I know our team's got a lot to offer. I'm really excited about it. Serving with, with this leader, you know, on my, on my left here is just a privilege. And I think the audience is going to find that once we, once we connect with um, some of the amazing airmen, in this wing and, and hear their stories and and uh, synthesize some of those some of those great themes and some of those great leadership elements. It's going to be really really powerful. So we're excited about it. And yeah. thanks for doing this, by the way. Yeah, of course. When when the opportunity came up, I I didn't even second guess. I was like, of course, <laughs> you got it. Yeah, a podcast, a podcast, command team, <laughs> guests, mentorship. Hey, it, it just, it's another great opportunity uh, that, that I have. And, and again, just listening to you guys and being able to listen to the future mentors that yeah. we have on, uh, it's, it's just going to be a great time. And, yeah. and I'm excited to see where this journey takes all of us. Yeah, it'll be interesting. If this is successful and how we measure success, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to look back at this first yeah. podcast yep. and just to see how we all grow together yeah. <laughs> um, between us and just the, the guests that we have in, in our mission statement. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I hope we can hit on, you know, you just mentioned something and Chief I have been bouncing this around, but what I, I've just started to hit on this. It's a, it's a, what do you need team mentality? Yeah. And, and that's what, that's what you're demonstrating there. And I bet when we get Shoemaker on, on our next podcast, we're going to see this come out again. And I would say that is a great wrap to episode one. I appreciate you guys again, and I look forward to the next episode.
All right. Thanks, Emma Jance. Appreciate it. Yeah, sounds good. Debrief number one complete. Complete. <laughs>